The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone. We had a couple of technical problems uh, on today's show. Audio quality is still fine, but it might start a little bit abruptly here. But hopefully you'll enjoy this locker room bonus pod. Got a bunch of interesting stuff to get into. Some good debate about the Mavs offseason in particular. So enjoy. Our first person is Cameron. Cameron, you are on the air. You're going. Um I wanted to ask about the uh, Knicks offseason. I want to know about maybe a player they can acquire that would fit and help them progress. And last week I um, mentioned uh, player statistics and I had you guys guess. Uh, I want to do the same thing. I oh, no, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> Nate. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It was just too entertaining to, to see you. See, but you got it right, which is the other thing. Like, you got it correct eventually. So, um, yeah. well, well, did, I'm gonna Danny, talk are, you, uh, are you going to be on the spot this time with, with, with Cameron? Uh, or, I'm, or I'm, this... t- I'm, tweeting, I'm tweeting out the link, so you might want to do it while I'm while I'm typing. Uh, okay. Well, I, am, uh, I, I will be the guinea pig again this week. Uh, but, but go ahead, Cameron. Sorry. All right. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, this is a guy who I think could really fit what the Knicks are looking for. So, okay. again, I'm using a basketball index, and this is among guards. So he's the 93rd percentile of perimeter shooting. Shooting, um, 89th percentile in off-screen share of possessions. Um, he is below average in the defensive impact metrics, um, but he has a high steal rate. And he's also in the 80th percentile in isolation points per possession. Oh, uh, <laughs> again, not an all-star. Yeah, um, Eastern Conference. T- Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, no, Eastern Conference. Oh, Eastern Conference. Sorry. Okay, I I, I started guessing before I, I heard the end of the preamble. Okay, so this guy's good at coming off screens and shooting. He's good in ISO, not very good on defense. I'm guessing he's probably a shooting guard. That's what the Knicks need. Oh, let me see here. He is a shooting guard, yeah. I, I fear I fear that this is not the greatest radio sometimes. Let me uh, let me get the rosters open. Maybe that'll jog my memory a, a little bit. He's in the east. Yeah, and also, just to make it go faster, he's also a guy who's on a, a pretty, pretty big contract that has looked a lot better... Um, now that's played out than it was when we first signed uh, it. Are you sure it's not Tim Hardaway Jr.? No. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. That you, you ever had that happen when you're trying to guess something and you think of a wrong answer first and you know it's the wrong answer, but you still like that's what pops up when you try to think about it. So I, I assume this player is an upcoming free agent. Is that fair to say? He's not actually. Oh, he's not. Oh, so this but, would be a potential trade target, eh? Yeah. And yeah. he's in the Eastern Conference. Terry Rozier? Yeah, Terry Rozier. Um, I want to know what you guys think about his fit on the Knicks and how the Knicks should progress um, because I feel like they need another guy who can score in isolation, can shoot, can play off ball a little bit with Randall there. Um, So I want your thoughts on that. Thanks. Yeah, that's not a... I mean, I think your biggest problem there is that Charlotte just really likes him. They're probably going to try to extend him this offseason. They have pretty clean books 
as well and I don't really buy Rozier as like a real isolation score even even if those stats are, are higher I assume that's based on the the synergy data uh given that I don't I'm not aware that people index has access to the second spectrum stuff and that stuff is you know particularly against like really the best if, if he's going to be the focus of the opposing team I don't I don't really buy him as a great isolation score distributor I do think that the theory behind it is sound though because he can score I think he's actually he can defend point guards reasonably well if you're going to run a lot through randall he's actually a decent uh point guard option maybe rather than playing at the two so to replace peyton or and have rose come off the bench if they re-sign him so i get the thought there but i i mean unless the hornets try to extend him and he's just like not interested i don't know why they would move him i think you would probably just one first round pick probably wouldn't be enough for him uh i'm guessing maybe it should be but i don't think it would be what do you think danny since you've uh you've been quiet here uh, i i think that rosier he's a, he's a good fit for the idea if Ra- you want randall to be the main guy i personally think that it'd be good for for the next have somebody else who can shoulder more of a playmaking burden, which has been a criticism of mine of Rozier's the Rozier. The more he's moved off ball, the better I've liked him. I think that that's more natural to his game. Nate brought up Kyle Lowry in a podcast we did recently, and I thought that was a really interesting idea. Like if the Knicks, the premise was that the Knicks were trying to get a lot better really quickly. Obviously, Lowry older, not as not as great a fit. I've brought up Mike Conley before. There are some some challenges there in terms of health and age and everything else like that. But I personally, especially with RJ looking so much better off ball than on ball, I'd be looking for somebody who at least who's better at that because I I admire what Randall has done. But I think that you want somebody else, especially considering Randall could be a free agent very soon, too. Yeah, our, our plan that we talked about on the pod, I'm not sure if you listen to this, Cameron, but my thought for the Knicks was sign Kyle Lowry and trade for Miles Turner in the offseason. And then like, if your goal is really to get as good as you can next year, now Lowry's older, obviously, but Turner is a great fit with Randall offensively. You can still protect the rim the way they have been, maybe even, if anything, better, although the two guys they have have been really good. Maybe Mitchell Robinson could be in that trade for Turner if the Pacers wanted to get cheaper. And then you just improve the spacing so much around Randall and RJ and you give them a chance to really succeed uh, maybe you bring back Bullock uh, as well to be your your fifth starter that was my pie in the sky idea for the Knicks because they have cap space they've got extra picks if they wanted to use them as well and that could maybe I think that could get the Knicks into being you know a real like home court advantage threat in the in the east what do you what do you think of that Cameron if, if you're still there I want to keep talking but yeah that no that sounds good um <laughs> I think they just, I think eventually Randall isn't going to be able to keep this up on his own. And I still don't think RJ is a good enough um, playmaker on ball. So that's why I went with Rozier, just because I think he just, he he can score. And I think that's something that they're going to need going forward. But yeah, thank you guys. All right. Thank you. We can jump to um, Eric. Eric, you are next. You are on the air. Me? Yes. Okay, just curious with uh, some of the stuff we've seen from Michael Porter recently and just how good some of the other guys in the 2018 draft class have been, where would you guys see yourself taking MPJ in a 2018 draft? Third. I think, I think pretty clearly third at this point, uh, which amazingly is, I think that's where I had him on, on my board as well, that my top three would probably be the same now as it was then, which is, <laughs> I'm probably never going to do any better than that 2018 draft, so I better crow about it now. But yeah, do you agree, Danny, third? Is that is that pretty clear? Am I missing anybody in that? I the, the thing that would give me a little bit of pause is the health, because if we're drafting it moving forward, I mean, the idea that if his back or something else is a ticking time bomb, but no, I, I would 
have him third as well. I mean, I guess so. Eaton is probably in that mix. No, uh, he's not. Jaron. Oh no, Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges is is interesting. O- over Porter, but, huh? That's uh... no. I I, w- I wouldn't over well, Porter. Sh- I mean, no, Shea Gilgis Alexander is is the real contender. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, we I just forgot. didn't scroll I, yeah, down Shea enough, right? Yeah, because he was yeah. he was eleven. Yeah, Shea. Yeah. Shea. Yeah, Shea would have to be above Porter. Actually, now that I think about it, so it would be fourth. I think probably Jackson. Jaron Jackson fifth, maybe Aiton or Mikhail Bridges sixth, Aiton seventh. Just uh, totally off the top of my head as I go through there. But Michael Porter Jr., I mean, what you were getting at, like what he what he is doing is not only hard to find, but it's it's incredibly valuable when you do find it. So the ability to have a more versatile jump shot, I think he's shown more in that respect than he than he did before. And he's I would say Porter Jr. has been better defensively this year. Still plenty of room for him to grow on that end. But extremely encouraging and when you consider that he's kind of a year and a half into his career i mean i think of that first year as being a partial one and then of course the year before that being completely lost really impressive i like what he's doing more off the dribble too like we're seeing him a little bit more in pick and roll a little bit more driving to the rim some euro step stuff some stuff off of one foot so he's doing a little bit more than just coming off screen shooting cutting to the basket where he'd been incredibly efficient but i think he's starting to get that usage up a, a little bit now still would need to see more from him going to the free throw line he's actually shooting fewer free throw attempts for 36 minutes this year than last year uh but no i i think that, where would you have america would you have him right in that range as well yeah i think i was thinking about this early and i think i settled in at him at four um and and kind of deciding between uh value valuing him over the, the big men taken early in that 2018 class but then um behind those elite kind of number one options like luca and trey uh, and shea i have above above him as well and i agree i think he's i think his finishing has also been a nice kind of improvement this year where in past he was definitely kind of averse to contact and now i think he's showing a little bit more finishing around the rim and then you know developing that chemistry with with Jokic obviously has been huge um, this season and you know giving Jokic a 6'10 guy who can just cut and just get that position under the rim is just you know that's too easy yeah so for for reference uh, on my top 10 prospects list I had Luca number one in his own tier I had Trey number four and uh Shea nine and then uh Porter Jr. in players to watch I think he's he would probably move up a, a little bit from when we did this which was what like a month ago Danny something like that so yeah I think it was a month and a half yeah yeah so uh, and Jamal Murray sadly would have to go down now with the with the ACL but uh, no he, he's been uh very you have to be very happy with what he's done so far this year I know that Nunya was next last time so I will put Nunya on the air right now and you can keep you can add to the speaker queue now Hey guys, I had a, a Watfo for you. What are the odds that the Warriors win a series in the playoffs? Oh, best of seven series? Yep, make it out of the play-in and win a first-round series. And you're talking about going against Phoenix or Utah, most likely. If if they there's some small chance they could get to six, if they especially if they win tonight against Dallas and, and get the tiebreaker. But I actually six is probably the worst place for them to be as far as actually winning a series. I think against the Clippers, they're just totally drawing dead. I would say, uh, but. Particularly because Ty Lue has so much experience going against Korea as a coach as well. But I would say, 
against i would give them you know a 20 percent chance of winning a series against utah or or phoenix is that is that is that a crazy high but they also but they also have a meaningful chance that, i yeah. that that seems that seems reasonable to me i mean we'll, we don't know health for any of these teams uh, but there's also a chance that they don't get there period and so yeah yeah that was just a that was just a component of it uh obviously i'm just trying to break it down yeah so i'd knock it to like maybe like 15 or 10 percent if you have to account for the possibility that they don't get there though i mean i would grizzlies are playing really well right now but if i had to pick you know two of the teams to come out of that i think i think i would have the warriors as one of the two to come out of the play-in knowing what we know right now And, and i mean the warriors could have a they could have the advantage as a seven or eight or they could not we don't know right now yeah, they do have a pretty easy schedule going forward here. So yeah, I'd say it between 10 and 20%, something like that. Uh, so that maybe 15. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think, uh, Nanya, if that is your real name? Uh, it is not, but uh, <laughs> I, I came up with 15 as well. And do you think either of those teams would be preferable for the Warriors to face? Oh, that's a good question. I would say the Jazz. I'd say probably the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, we'll see. Maybe this ankle issue could linger for him going into the playoffs. Uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, they, they don't really have a great perimeter defender to guard stuff. Their whole system is based on forcing guys to the rim against Rudy Gobert. Now, Quinn Snyder will probably come up with something in a playoff setting where they're just going to not guard your Kelly Oubre's and Draymond and, and you know figure out some ways to focus more on stuff. But when the foundation of your system is dropping back with your big man to protect the goal and you can run a pick and roll and make them do something other than what they want to be doing, that's a good place to start i would say and they also i think the warriors can switch defensively which i think is the way you want to play against utah most of the time and utah doesn't really have the personnel to like go after stuff on the defensive end particularly so i I mean obviously utah is a massive favorite they're gonna have home court all that but i do think the warriors given you know your typical what you'd expect in a 1-8 matchup the warriors would be in better shape than a normal 1-8 matchup assuming obviously that everyone who could reasonably be healthy is for for both teams. Well, and and one reasonable proxy there that I like to use some of these times is you know, the Warriors won't have a full you know full forty eight minutes with Stephen Curry on the floor, but when they've had Curry available, they're a plus three point eight clean the glass net rating team. And first of all, I think that's better than the average eight seed. But the reason why I think that matters is because you think about the representative sample, and let's say Curry plays thirty five minutes a game, then you're getting you're getting that of a that level of team for that, and you're getting something significantly worse for twelve thirteen. That is different than the average eight seed. Like they're they're just they're just well, better. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, they've been pretty good recently with Curry uh, when he's actually played. They've obviously been terrible without him. And then the other one too, uh, four point two net rating overall when James Wiseman is off the floor, negative eight point eight when he's on. So him just not playing, uh, I think, and particularly the combination of Ubre and Wiseman together was one that was really killing them. And so I think actually moving Ubre into a bench role has helped a little bit uh, as well. Uh, where he, he just fits better coming off the bench so yeah I, I mean i think they're they're now the problem with the warriors is they may just be totally out of gas not having any centers and stuff with this ankle and just having to push this hard in this crazy schedule and steph and draymond being veterans uh, that that's definitely a concern utah should be able to take it pretty easy um yeah and phoenix just feels like they just they're they have too much quality up and down the roster I, I think i actually think phoenix might be a harder matchup than uh utah well especially when you think about the kind of the the ability to defend them like defending both ways i think is an interesting question with the suns because you have to deal with booker and cp and the warriors you know they they throw 
resources that, then they're going to have limited shooting. Okay, we well, that was a, that was a good question, a good a good Watfo. Uh, we'll go to Ezra. Ezra, you are on the air. Hey guys, um, my question is about the Timberwolves. I actually just put in the chat. Um, just simply, if you're the number one, if you're the Timberwolves, would you go full tank? Given that Golden State, even for the worst team, has a sixty percent chance of taking our pick, is it worth um, you know going for the team chemistry, playing our starters for next year, or would you try to get every bit of that forty percent? Um, given that it's looking increasingly like there's a chance we're not going to be in the bottom three. That's definitely a, a, a fair question. I mean, one of the other considerations is you, you, the, I understand the 40% pressure, but having your own unprotected pick next year, I mean, granted, the hope is that they're going to be much better and that it's the, the pick that's conveying it would that thus be worse to the Warriors if you keep it. But there is something to having having your having your resources free and clear. I think... Given the complications of the the unusual nuances of their season, also incorporating a new coach, having positive momentum for the Wolves is more important than the average team. So, I mean, falling below fourth, I think, would be, you know, in terms of fourth worst record. Then the odds start shifting a little bit more drastically. Maybe you try to kind of keep it within then, but I'm usually pro-tank. I'm a little bit less in this case. What about you, Nate? It'd be nice if the incentives weren't aligned this way, but they are. And keeping a top three pick is just so important to the future of the franchise. And actually, I would say the fact that they are playing better this year, to me, is all the more reason to tank now because there's some hope for next year at this point so you can if you keep the pick this year then you probably give up you know you could say hey we'll give up number 10 to them next year or something like that and this is a really good draft in the top five as well they need one more guy i would say to be sure they, they don't really have great options at three and four maybe Jaden mcdaniels yep. could get there so I, it's just it's annoying because they are playing well and they're finally getting some decent vibes but it's just too important you have to do it which sucks but it's just the reality yeah appreciate it uh yeah absolutely let's uh let's take one here from the chat sure uh scott robert asks uh brightest future pels grizz or okc generally speaking my my first thought is to go with the best individual talent and I think that's Zion of those. I mean, Shea has been really impressive this year, but what Zion is doing has been even to me even more impressive. And New Orleans has more complicated finances. Um, they, you know, the, the idea that it's harder for them to to change gears. But if I had to guess, you know, I, I think Giannis is going to be the the best foundational player of those three. You and I got asked on the NBA cast yesterday. Oh, Zion, you mean. yes, Zion, the, the new Giannis, the new yes. Giannis, and uh, and got asked about like over under half an MVP for him. And I think that is a that's a strong argument that you should take the team that has Zion Williamson because I think that's a higher MVP equity than Shea is as well as he's been doing so far and and higher than John Moran as well of course yeah it's interesting I mean OKC has all the draft picks obviously and New Orleans has a few I also the I would say and this is amazing considering that this is the only GM of these teams that's won a championship but I would say that New Orleans has probably had the worst management so far I think they've done well in their trades but other than that have not done amazingly well and so yeah they do have these Lakers picks and a little bit more going forward I mean you might have to say OKC just because they they probably have the best management they are most committed to maximizing their long-term outcomes i.e tanking their asses off to get good picks for a little bit a little while and they just have so many outs for draft picks in the future i think if you want to say which of these teams is the most likely to win a championship 
at some point in the next 10 years, I'm going to go with OKC. Same here. I don't know if they have the highest. I don't know if they have the highest median outcome. That might actually be Memphis. Yeah, for, but, for me, that's uh, New Orleans because yeah. of Zion, and the, the, he's going to be there for a while. Yeah, that was why I picked why I picked them. But yeah, in terms of title equity, yeah. the the one weak point of OKC's draft profile, and this is true of almost everybody, we'll see what happens with that Houston pick. Is the the like real high upside of other people's picks, and it's the same criticism I've levied at New Orleans. Is you know the, having the Lakers picks is nice, but it's those uh, odds are those aren't going to produce anything ridiculous. I would actually Houston with Brooklyn's picks because they're so much further out in the future is interesting there. But the thing that OKC has, which makes the which makes it brighter, is that they're probably going to have their own good picks for the next year or two, depending on how Sam Presti wants to play this. So that gives them some real equity moving forward. And as you said, they're willing to play this string out in a way that the other franchises probably are not because they're better partially. Oh yeah, but that was that was a question, so we can get into uh, we can get into a speaker. And uh, Gordon, you are next. Gordon, are you there? Hey, yeah. What is the Hornets' playoff rotation going to be if they're fully healthy? How deep do you think they go? And then what's their uh, what's their starting five uh, since they've got PJ at the five right now and Miles in there? Not sure if that's going to change or what. What do you think? Huh, yeah, that's, I mean, we'll assume Hayward is back. We'll assume that Ball is back. If it were me, I would pro. Uh, it depends who they match up against it as well. I would say you know I I don't really see you know the the Vernon Carey starting at center era. That's a, didn't seem like that was gonna last very long yeah i think i would just not mess around and go with pj at the five especially you know let's say they're going up against miami in the play-in or going up against the knicks I think going with PJ at the five right at the start just caused some matchup problems. I think this this one game series is so interesting. You can't do the usual thing where, ah, we'll just wait until game two to go to our best lineup, but you got to do it right away. And then I think also just kind of playing in a weird way without a ton of prep time that that can having a different play style can actually cause problems. So I would say, yeah, PJ at the five, Bridges at the four. He's been really good this year. I probably would bring Devontae Graham off the bench and go Lamelo, Rozier, Hayward. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a thought that they would go Hayward instead of Bridges and put Graham in as well. You're awfully small in the backcourt there. So maybe it would even depend uh, on the matchups. And uh, But yeah, it's an interesting question. And I mean, do they not even play any centers at all? Zeller, Bianco, I mean, you probably got to get some minutes for those guys and they're probably better than Jalen McDaniels. Yeah, I'd say that, that you well. have the traditional center as kind of the backup five, but then the other benefit with Zeller and Biombos, if you need to scale them up a little bit more, you totally can. Like you could play PJ Washington primarily as the five, intention of being your starting and closing center. But if you want to give one of the other guys, their fives a little bit more time, you can totally do that. Yeah, what's your thought, Gordon? Sure. Uh, do you think that, uh, do you think Lomelo will be part of that crunch time five? You know, it seems like they didn't want to play him in the regular season. Do you think it's still going to be the case uh, come playoffs? Oh, I think so. I hope uh, so. I mean, because, and, and also they just, they need to get him that experience in that game. I think even that is is a good teaching moment. I mean, now, unless if he's not healthy, that obviously changes and we'll see we'll see how he plays once he comes back and hopefully that wrist won't be screwing up at his shot or anything uh, but but we're, no, we're I, rough, I mean, he's sorry yeah. we're roughly like three weeks from there so if he's good enough let's say he's good enough in a week or two then I'll, i'm hopeful that he'll be a hundred percent roughly that he'll be a hundred percent by that time and as nate said getting the reps is 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 important and i i don't know that charlotte knew that they were going to be able to get him any sort of postseason reps in year one so i think it would be a, it would be a huge positive to make it happen right looking forward to it thanks guys 
Thank you. Let's jump to Ross. Ross, you are on the air. G'day, guys. I've got a Watfo for you. What are the chances that one of the Brooklyn Big Three misses the entire playoffs? Then, what are the chances that two of them miss the entire playoffs? And then finally, <laughs> what are the chances that three of them miss the entire playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess here's the thing, right? The more of them that are out, the greater chance that all of them miss it just because it's a shorter amount of time and things are more hopeless, so they might not play through a a nagging injury. Uh, I mean, the chance that all three of them... So basically what we're talking about is none of them play in any of their playoff games. That that was the last one. So basically uh, like a mutiny or a team disbandment? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean are, we're 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 not talking about like global disasters, right? Like is that no. that's not part of this? No, 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 no. I mean K- Kyle Shanahan when he was asked about whether Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> would be on the team for the Niners, he he's like, "Well, I can't even guarantee anyone's going to be alive." Uh it, it seems like killing him is is a little extreme. Maybe you should just trade him, but still, uh yeah, so uh, assuming that the games actually are played as normally scheduled, oh, at 1% for all three of them. But I would say missing the entire playoffs, I think there's a good 25% chance, I would say, that one of them misses. Uh, because, I, I mean, I think that like these injuries are nagging enough that I think they'll at least try to play and maybe they'll re-injure it or something like with Harden. Like, I would be very surprised. And they're not going to, even if Harden doesn't play at all, they're not going to lose their first round series. So he'll clearly, you would think, be back by the second part. And there's no indication that Kyrie and KD won't be ready to start the playoffs. The other thing too is that they're going to have, oh, basically a week off before the playoffs start, which is another way for them to kind of get healthy. There's less of a risk that, you know, someone gets hurt in the games right before then. They can at least come back by the end of that series if they hurt a calf or a hamstring or something so uh yeah that's that's my thought on that so 25 percent that one of them and then you know probably five percent chance two of them and one percent chance three of them would be my guess but that's uh you you never know on these injuries Uh, those are kind of kind of difficult to project uh, I'll do this one quickly from the chat. This is from Sam Morris. Uh, is there a statistic that measures the number of games a team's opponent outperform, underperforms their uh, expected result? I would say the best shorthand for that is a stat that Cleaning the Glass does, which is called win differential. It's uh, For those who are looking for it, it's under the league tab, then the summary tab. And what that measures is, so Cleaning the Glass's net rating is without garbage time. And so it is basically, if you extrapolate out that point differential you can say usually a team with that point differential wins x number of games and so the win differential statistic that they have is how that team performs relative to you know that so for example this year oklahoma city thunder thunder over baby um they're plus they're they're plus 6.1 because of their crazy bad point differential recently um and then the toronto so they're underperforming they're overperforming their point differential by 6.1 wins this so far this year and the Toronto Raptors are underperforming it. They have the differential of about a 500 team, but they're 26 and 34. So that's that's the best I can do, Nate, unless you have anything else that you're thinking of. Yeah, well, well. so Sam says, for example, teams and players getting especially hot from three or opponents missing key players publicly. I'm not aware of anything like that. I w- wouldn't surprise me if some teams have that and... You know, there are some metrics like PIPM, RIP, uh, Jacob Goldstein now with the, with the Wizards, where they uh, adjust for lock. As a clarification, uh, RIP of, to yeah. the publicly available PIPM, Jacob Goldstein is still very much alive. 
Yeah, yeah, PIPM RIP. Well, that's why I went on to say that he works for the Wizards okay, now. Sorry. It, the, the, those, uh, I, I was I was sensitive to the idea that people might think that uh, tragedy befell Jake Boo Goldstein, but that is, uh, well, I, some would say that working for the Wizards is a tragedy, but I'm sure he's very happy there. Uh, so... Uh, but yeah, I think there's, there's some, uh, like NBA shot charts.com has a luck adjusted RAPM. So they have that more for individual players. I'm not sure that it's out there, you know, they're, they're uh, in terms of like who you're going against, what teams are, uh, were missing players. So I don't know of anything publicly available for that on the team level, but maybe there is, if, if someone sees that, uh, let me know, but I, I have not come across it. I'd be interested to see that. Cause I think it would be pretty useful. Uh, let, let's, what we got next here, Danny? Oh, let's go to Brian. Brian, you are on the air. Hey, first time, long time. Uh, I have a question about the Clippers offense. I'm looking for your analysis sort of within the crucible of the playoffs. So let me hit you with some numbers here. Um, first, the positives. Second, in points per possession behind Brooklyn. By the way, I'm taking the, all of this from cleaning the glass. Second in, effective, sure. second in effective field goal percentage. That's three and a half percent percentage points higher than last year. Second in efficiency in the half court. First overall in accuracy for corner and non-corner threes. Second in frequency of corner threes. Now here's what gives me pause. 25th in locational field goal percentage, which is, by the way, the biggest spread in the league compared with their effective field goal percentage. 26th in frequency for shots at the rim. 12th in free throw rate. They were first last year, four, point, uh, four percentage points higher. Fifth in frequency of long mid-range shots. 25th in frequency of possessions in transition. 24th the frequency of possessions off turnovers. And 26th in frequency of possession off live rebounds. And they're not particularly efficient off of uh, live rebounds or in transition. So basically, my perspective is that this is an offense that is overwhelmingly dependent on what seems to be unsustainable, unsustainably great shooting from non-ideal locations out of a much higher than average uh, percentage of half court sets and i'm curious if you see it that way if you think of it differently and how you think things will change once the whole team is back and rondo and abaka and Kawhi are fully integrated together so that's it yes i see the the crux of the question which is hey they're really dependent on jump shooting and they've been awesome at that and to add into some of the stats that, that you threw out there uh, you know seth partnow put this out recently of just the players who with the second spectrum data basically add the most in terms of their jump shooting compared to how contested they are and that list had a ton of clippers on it and you know they're shooting they're basically the greatest three-point shooting team of all time right now and maybe the question because comes how easy is it to keep getting those open looks or if they're not open if you go cold like what's plan b it's not running it's not really getting to the foul line you could say that maybe Kawhi in a playoff setting is going to be a little bit more focused on driving to the basket and and drawing fouls so i think really a lot of it comes down to Kawhi, and if he can be the guy that he was in the 2019 playoffs like for example that series against philly where he just completely the raptors missed every jump shot in the world and Kawhi was able to just carry them with his isolation scoring so if he can be that dominant and look like the best player in the nba or the second best player in the nba then i'm not as worried if he kind of runs out of gas a little bit and he can't carry them which he couldn't in those last three games against denver last year for example yeah then they could be in some trouble so and some people might compare them to golden state 
but I think that that Golden State team had a few more threats, uh, shooters with more of a track record. And then they also, while they didn't shoot at the rim a ton, they did shoot a a crazy good percentage at the rim when they did get there. And they also ran, which uh, this Clippers team doesn't. And they forced turnovers on the defensive end, which this Clippers team doesn't do a ton of to get out in transition. So yeah, I think those are legitimate concerns, uh, to be sure, is is the way I, I would end that long soliloquy yeah the the thing that I'll, the only thing i'll add in this nate got into this a little bit but just to, to frame phrase it a different way i think that there is an element of, of what the clippers do that is repeatable which is that they like the mid-rangers they take more of them but they also have better mid-range finishers so, you know better mid-range shooters than the average team does and Kawhi's better doing it contested they have a bunch of other like a lot of them are relatively clean looks so that part of it is there, but but I what I think is so important is that as Nate said, the plan B. So they don't they don't really have the other ways like the kind of the equivalent of system buckets, like the ways of and and their defense. Maybe if they turn on a little bit more and they run a little bit more, that can get them there. But we haven't seen it as much this year. So like I think the Clippers on it from a talent perspective, I believe in their talent more than I believe in the way that's executed. And that was true even last year when I was when I was even more confident in what they could be before they fell apart against the Nuggets. But yeah, I think there are there are definitely reasons to be cautious. However, there are also reasons to be cautious about everybody else. So I think that that's it's it's a challenging year to predict who's going to come out of the West. Yeah, and I would just say that my my I echo those concerns. And when I think about them facing a team like the Lakers, for instance, which have such um, an excellent set of uh, uh, they 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 have such an excellent set of defensive concepts, and they play such strong team defense. I think I think a team like the Lakers might be able to um, sort of directly uh, take away a little bit of what the Clippers like to do. And then the question becomes, what is that plan B, and can it be scrambled essentially from nothing? Um, in order to provide a different look. And I'm just I'm just not sure about that. We're we're projecting something that we haven't seen. And so that that's what concerns me. Thanks. Yeah, to add one more thing on the Clippers, uh, their defense is obviously going to be massive. They actually just moved into the top 10 recently after they were in the 20s early in the year. So they're going to have to win some games defensively. I think there are going to be times when the jump shots are not falling. But I actually feel pretty, obviously I'd say the Lakers are the biggest threat to them. But I feel pretty darn good about the Clippers going against the the Lakers because they generally have just played them well the last couple of years. They've had the advantage when those teams uh, have matched up and the Lakers don't have a great option for Kawhi. And and as I've said many times, I think it's really, if Kawhi Leonard is going to be the best player in a series, the Clippers uh, are probably looking pretty good to win that series in my opinion and i like him against the jazz as well especially because i don't think the jazz have a great counter to that marcus morris at center lineup so and you only got to win four out of seven times right if the shots don't fall in three games you can still win the series if they do fall in four so they're i think their defense is maybe as big of a variable as the shooting is and if they can really be play defense at a top five type of level with their switching and and some of the wing defense that they have that could really uh, be a, a big part of, of their playoff run danny uh you got to jump into the chat here i saw it uh oh yeah let's do the it ar- so basically there's an argument slash discussion about whether the mavericks are or should be tanking to to potentially get out of the six and First of all, we don't know for sure that the Clippers are going to be the three. I think that is that is an important assumption. I was actually thinking earlier today, um, I was, I, I've was i been working on what I call the schedule book, which is basically like kind of what's left for every team. And I also don't think that the number one seed is set yet. I, I was looking at the Utah struggles and, and Phoenix plays them and has, you know, this, the Phoenix's schedule gets easier at a certain point. 
but there's just so much uncertainty. We still have we still have enough time left that things could move. I don't expect the Nuggets to jump the Clippers. But the other thing is Dallas can't be certain. You know, like so if you're not the six, this isn't another year where oh you get the seven, everything's done. No, you could fall to you could fall to the, the eight, or you could fall completely out of the playoffs. And so I think that the risk premium is just too high, and it's you know it's you can't get too cute with it. And I mean there are dangerous teams potentially in the play in for the Mavericks. So from that perspective, I think that they're just dealing with a bunch of injuries and trying to be as cautious as they can to try to get guys back. Any other thoughts, Nate? No, I, I think that's about it. I, I have posited this before. I think Hollinger and I debated this a little bit at, at one point of just whether you're better off going for the matchup or better off just making sure that you are in the playoffs. And I would say for a team like the Mavs, you're just, you made the playoffs already last year. You know, you're a playoff quality team. This year has been kind of messed up anyway. You're better off just, I mean, I guess the the other problem though, is if you want to be healthy, having a week off is pretty nice. If that's yes, that's a really good point. That everyone, is, that everyone is exhausted, but I, I'm not sure how disingenuous it is because they have made a bunch of comments that this year has just been so incredibly fatiguing for them. And obviously you don't want someone suffer like Kristaps Porzingis, for example, you don't want him suffering another like big injury where now he's going to miss next year as well. So I think they're, they realize they're not winning a championship this year. I think they're just trying to keep guys healthy and see what ends up happening in the end. That That's what I think is going on more than like specific seating, maybe within the next, you know, within a week or so of the end of the season, then maybe that starts to become more of a focus. Uh, Xavier's been involved in this chat, but Xavier, you're on the air. I don't know if you have anything further than what we've just been discussing. Yeah, so actually, there's a couple Mavs fans that I'm in a ton of locker room chats with, and they think I'm insane for my opinion. But Danny, specifically you, I'm praying that you agree with me because you actually had him pretty <laughs> high in your point guard rankings. But as a Mavs fan, clearly, um, I believe that Spencer Dinwiddie, considering who's currently out there and the probability that Lonzo Ball may, get, may re-sign in New Orleans, I think then would he b- would be a great pickup for the Mavs in the offseason. And do you guys think he'd be a good fit? And because he'd be second banana to Luke and not having and not having to carry the bulk of the offense on his shoulders, do you think that his three point shooting percentage could creep up towards the thirty six to thirty seven percent range as opposed to what it has been thus far in his career? So I think that if Dinwiddie is, if a higher proportion, like one of the ways to think about this, if more of his threes are assisted, because like right now he's been roughly in the 50 to 60% uh, assisted range. So if that bumps up to 80 or 90, like we see with some of those primarily off guard type guys, I think that would help him a lot. I haven't looked at Dinwiddie's specific splits, um, but I, I do really like the fit of Dinwiddie with Luca. He has good positional size as well. I don't know that you necessarily are going to run like a heavy switching system, especially if Porzingis is on the floor, but I like I I do really like Dinwiddie. I think he might be the best player reasonably available. Not the best player technically. I mean, we'll, we'll see where things actually go. But yeah, I I am a fan of Dinwiddie on the Magic. That was why I floated the, our Maverick. Sorry, that's why I floated the idea of theoretically them basically acquiring his bird rights. That was I, I don't know if the Nets even considered it. I don't know if Dinwiddie you know like where where things scuttled in terms of a Dinwiddie trade. But getting his bird rights, theoretically, then the Mavs could have stayed over, retained some of their pending free agents. But yeah, I, I mean, there were there were loftier guys that, you know, at one time maybe could have gone to Dallas, but most of them resigned. So yeah, I'd be on board with Dimity. What about you, Nate? 
Well, I'm almost there here finding his catch and shoot numbers. And yeah, he's 37% on catch and shoots, but only took two per game. A lot a lot of what he was taking there was difficult off the dribble shots. Remember that last year, Kyrie missed most of the year. A lot of his time has been as the sole creator, and he had to take a lot of difficult off the dribble threes. And I, you know, he was pretty low. I can't remember what he was overall last year, but it was low 30s, like even maybe even like high 20s or something. But he's a better shooter than that. And getting more catch and shoots, I think, would be good. And the Mavs are not afraid of guys who are coming off of injury i mean porzingis was coming off a a torn acl as well this is a second one for dinwiddie and you wouldn't want to overpay to a a crazy degree but yeah i think he's really the best guy they can find because he can play on and off the ball and he also defends at that position i like the idea of getting more ball handling but also still having a guy with the size where you're he's not going to be a defensive liability you can maybe do some more switching etc so i i mean are the who are the other alternatives who are your friends saying xavier that they should get it instead it's frustrating because a ton of people are they're in love with rashawn holmes they're in love with john collins and to me i don't think we need another player who's going to need to rely on luca to create offense for them i think we need somebody to to type kind of a a pressure valve for luca and so that way we can be more dynamic in our offense i think a lot of people think carl is doing a good enough job of you know putting this creative offense out there in my mind it's like with the roster that we have our best bet is pick and roll with luca right because you're you're not gonna i mean now we have jj to kind of run some you know some stuff off the ball but what, what are we going to run? Uh, Dorian P- Finney-Smith pin down or or Tim Hardaway, Dwight yeah. Powell wing pick and roll? So put the ball in Lucas' hands and either have Powell rim run or hopefully pick and pop with KP. But if we have somebody like Dinwoody, now we can see Carlisle be more imaginative with the offense. And I think that that'll really help take us to the next step because John Collins over Sean Holmes, I'm sorry, but I don't think that's moving the needle for us at all. Um, And thank you guys because I've been listening to you guys for like four, four years and I was hoping you guys would say what you did and I, I don't feel crazy anymore, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Happy to be of service. Yeah, well, well. so just to, to react to it, your friends, I, I think, well, Collins, that's difficult because he was a restricted free agent. So if you do the offer sheet, the Hawks match, then you end up with nothing. You're six days into free agency and there's nothing out there. Um, and Holmes, you know, they kind of have some similar guys already. And I, I think, you know, you're paying a max contract to a center already. And so you're really, you got to close games with him at center. He can't play the four defensively. So I definitely like the fit of Dinwiddie better. But if Dinwiddie isn't available, then you do have this issue, Danny, where this is really the last year that they're going to have cap space because Luca's max is going to kick in next year. Uh, they also, by the way, for the big thing, they have Kleba, who I think is a solid second banana in the front court or, or can play alongside Porzingis. And he's pretty good defensively. Uh, and he's on a cheap contract. So it doesn't make sense to get a big. Maybe you could say, all right, nobody wants to come here. We got to just get the best player we possibly can use this cap space because this is the last year we're going to have cap space. That's the only way I would be looking at a big potentially. Otherwise, yeah, I think wing point guard. And I liked Dinwiddie, again, due to his size, shooting ability off the ball to some degree and also can run the offense. He and Jalen Brunson together when Luca's out of the game, I think would be pretty good as well. Uh, what else we got here, Danny? We have a bunch of speaker requests, so we'll move very quickly. Uh, a version of a lightning yes. round. Um, Bryce, you are on the air. Bryce, you there? Okay, Bryce, if you come if you come back in, we'll put you on. Um, but we'll, we'll keep moving. Christian, you are on the air. 
Hey guys, how you guys doing? Good, how are you? Doing good. Yeah, me and Xavier go back and forth. We're both Mavs fans, but uh, that was part of the question. I, I just disagree with getting Dinwiddie, especially giving him nice money. Because then imagine if, you know, as their track record suggests, Dinwiddie going down, KP goes down, and then what do you have next to Luka? Um, but I, the, the, I, I've been favorable of Collins just from the sense, and I know the restricted free agency is a tough thing. Um, but I think in a sense of like almost a Daryl Morey mindset of just almost asset management, it's hard to get those good players. But someone I'm really intrigued by is what do you think about DeMar DeRozan, uh, possibly go into the Mavs I think you know he's shown that he can be somewhat of a secondary ball handler he's averaging almost seven assists or so um and I think what the Mavs really need is the Knights KP's out to have that second uh you know guy that could get you 20 plus points and even with KP you have three guys that could really uh score the basket in a bunch of different ways and I think you can just uh especially with Carlisle do some very creative things um with those three as kind of your core and i think that can actually uh take us that next step especially with luca probably qualifying for that rose rule um and getting the max this offseason I'll, I'll let you go first date if you want yeah so i think um derozan i think it's just going to be a problem for uh for playing with luca just he's not a good enough three-point shooter off the ball and teams are going to not guard him and he also gives a, another place to attack defensively and i think i like their overall strategy of trying to get defense and shooting around luca i do think they could use one more creator and i certainly realize that dinwiddie is no sure thing he's a guy he's coming off a second torn acl at age 28 but i think the fit there is pretty good he's young enough that if he has come back that and he may not even be ready to start the season next year frankly the thought too is you know it's not gonna have to be four years 100 million that you can get him uh with a non-guarantee on the end or some kind of injury protection where maybe it's not going to be something that'll totally hamstring them if it doesn't work out and and collins it's just like as we said this is your last chance and you want to spend it on collins and then you just end up with nothing this offseason and or are you willing to give up another draft pick which they're already out a a couple here to get collins and and have the hawks not match I, i think that's just that's really difficult so did i did i address every everything there did, did i miss anything i did, you talked for a little bit there so sorry if i didn't quite address everything you said there did a good job of answering it but uh you know i i but but i'm wrong <laughs> yeah, well, no, not that i'm wrong it's, it, there's a difference between being wrong and what i want to hear <laughs> yeah yeah but, no well i mean it you know john collins could everyone has their opinions on this and i mean some are just like totally crazy but other ones i mean i think you can certainly debate it i'm not saying dinwiddie is a panacea i think he's the, the mavs are screwed because all the guys that they wanted to sign this offseason have already extended so he's kind of the best of options that aren't as good as they hope they would be so i i recognize that's not perfect to, to be sure and collins may, especially if porzingis goes down then you're glad to have collins but you're also i don't think you're maximizing your ceiling by giving max contracts to two guys who are probably best at, at center in today's day and age okay we'll try to make it a little more lightning-y with uh jake oh yes sorry i forgot about that aspect all right jake you're on the air well it'll be faster if we if people aren't available uh jake um if you if if you pop back in we will we will get to you um john you are you are on the air now john oh jake's yeah guys if you're oh jake is there Uh, jake you are on the air 
I, I lost the app uh, right when I joined in, but I uh, wanted to ask you a question about the Suns. Uh, obviously, it's been really fun to watch them, uh, you know, have this uh, outstanding turnaround season. Uh, everyone's very excited about Chris Paul. Uh, the Suns have, um, I think they're currently fifth in defense, and I was asking, uh, I, I was wondering how you feel that's going to translate uh, to the playoffs. You know, they have a couple of bodies at the wing position that uh, I think you'd love, you know, you, you feel okay at, at throwing some of those guys out there, but really, uh, nobody uh, that I really trust to guard a big like AD or uh, Jokic uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, how you see that defense translating they they don't allow a ton of threes but they're, uh, they they do allow a decent amount of shots at the rim so curious if you see anything there that uh, gives you pause uh, for their defensive hopes for the playoffs. Yeah, something that concerns me a little bit is you talked a little bit about the shot distribution. I think that there are elements of that that I do really like for the Suns, but they haven't teams are shooting reasonably well against them at the rim. I'm a little bit cautious about that. And while I like a lot of the defenders on the Suns, I wonder about those kind of you, you brought up AD. I think that's a very real concern, but also the, like the really bigger wings, they're putting a lot on Jake Crowder and maybe Sharks. Like I love Mikhail Bridges. I, I don't love him specifically on those matchups. He, uh, maybe he can prove me wrong. I hope he does. Um, but I think of the Suns at this point as being a team that can do a decent job against almost everybody, but maybe not an incredible job against, you know, top five teams. Most teams don't like that's not a, a huge, a huge criticism, but I'm, you know, I'm not as confident in them as a, you know, a defense against elite opposition as I am a lot of teams that are, you know, that, that can do well. But I, I mean, the, the same thing, I've been critical of the jazz and numerous other teams that are towards the top of the league for this. So it's not like it's an unusual criticism. Yeah. They do force a lot of turnovers, yep. which I think again, Against the best teams, especially a team like the Clippers, who don't really pass it that much, that's less effective. And Aiden, I think, actually is a very good one-on-one defender of bigs, at least compared to a lot. But then that second unit defense with Sharich has been unbelievable all year. And I, that seems to me to be a little bit of smoke and mirrors. And I don't know how you protect the room in that situation. I do think that Crowder and Bridges and Chris Paul are all very underrated. I would give them most of the credit for what's transpired in addition to coaching as well but yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson hold up and obviously how Aiton holds up uh, as well so uh, yeah I definitely if you had to say are they the fifth best playoff defense in the NBA no I would say they're a little bit below that in my opinion makes a ton of sense thanks guys thanks Jake and thanks for being persistent um Hashim you are on the air Hashim you there yeah, guys, if you're struggling, restart the app and jump back in, and that might that might help you. Yeah, it absolutely can. Um, AG, you are on the air. Um, I had a question about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so right now, I think in the general eye, Brooklyn Nets are heavily favored by most people. And I, my question about that is like history tells us that this is not a makeup of what we see as a championship team. Like they're below average on defense, and I think the only I did some research on this. The only defenses to make the finals that were not top ten defenses were three of the Cavaliers teams in 2015, 2017, 2018, and the 2001 Lakers. And let's face it, the East sucked the years the Cavaliers made it, and the Lakers are a complete anomaly because their defense went through the roof in the playoffs. So I just want to know your thoughts on if you guys think the Brooklyn Nets make a ge- what we would think as a general championship team contender. 
I'm more concerned about their health actually than the defense. Uh, certainly the the history that you stated, I, I think everyone's aware of that. Uh, but also these guys might be either the best or the second greatest offense of the last 40 years. And that, that matters a, a lot too, if they can all get healthy and all be together. And that's why if they're not, if they don't have all three of those guys all together and clicking, then yeah, I think they're going to run into some real problems because their defense is going to be bad. I think there's just an acknowledgement of that, but you're just going to say, hey, uh, the Nets offense is just so good that it's not going to matter. That's, it's definitely a concern, and that's part of why uh, I thought they could have problems at the beginning of the year, but I still picked them to come out of the East before they got hardened because I thought they could make a trade to improve their defense, and instead they went the exact opposite direction. So it is certainly a concern for me, but I think the hope is that, hey, if you can just play as good a defense as the 25th best defense in the playoffs and you're going to be the number one offense by a mile, that's enough to still win you games. But we'll we'll see how it turns out. It's, I mean, they're a fascinating, fascinating uh, team. The only thing I... Oh. Sorry, I inadvertently took AG out because we were trying to do a lightning around. Um, and also because we had a couple people pop back in. Sorry, AG, on that. Uh, Bryce, who I think, was the first person who got bumped. So we'll do, we'll try to do these as quickly as we can. Bryce, you there? Hey, uh, I'll ask this really quick. I was um, wondering, so I was watching Stevens uh, try out Taco against Embiid and also Moses Brown dominate the Celtics uh, when the Thunder played the Celtics. Uh, do you think there's any possibility for a bench defense built around a super big guy like that? Um, or kind of on a side note, do you think there are any defenses that haven't really been tried out? You guys have mentioned presses in the past off of the bench. Anything along those lines? Thank you. So I, I think that a relying on a super big guy, it's more viable on that second unit. But the problem is they need to be able to, generally speaking, moving your feet well is, is, is so important because teams can succeed in a variety of ways. You can get them out on the floor and pick and roll, something else. And generally speaking, if a guy is not versatile enough to start, then that means there are some real shortcomings. So I'm skeptical of it. And yeah, I, I mean, I think back to a conversation I had with Kent Bazemore years ago, back when he was a rookie, and like the idea that a, a bench pressing unit would work, but the problem would be to get everybody to buy in because it's so hard to do that. You probably want to use a bench mob idea. So you have five guys and that's like what they do. But it's hard to say, okay, you guys, you're going to work way harder than everybody else. And then like, you know, do this on both ends for like 10 minutes a game. Um, but I would love to see a team try it. I really hope it happens. All right. Should we move on to the next one here? Yeah. Um, see if we get like two more in yeah, so before we got to go. Hashim was next in line. We'll see if he's, see if he wrecked. You there, Hashim? Yeah. Uh, hey guys, uh, real quick. So we've seen the downside of this kind of compressed um, season schedule. So just curious, if you were solely in charge, how would you design a regular season schedule in terms of number of games and number of days uh, without necessarily consideration for, you know, TV contracts and such? Uh, season is the same length as it is now in terms of number of days. However, everyone plays everyone twice. You could theoretically even expand the league a little bit then. that would There would be no back-to-backs. Uh, you'd be able to f- still fulfill the national TV contract. You just would have a different thing in terms of local. Ideally, to me, you would actually restructure that. Maybe you do something like what the NFL does or something even a little bit, a little bit more nuanced but that's where i'd go yep two two games a week and uh you could still have the exact same national tv contract because you just you could just show more more games uh you know you would even be able to have more you could have days where you know like a monday in football where there's only one game that day and it just makes the games more events it's not as tiring you could also play stars more minutes because they're going to get plenty of rest in between games uh, and 
then yeah it's really like the thing that's preventing that from happening is the local tv contracts and maybe the gate uh, as well but i think the gate would be fine with 58 games instead of uh instead of with 82 just because you could charge higher prices and it'd probably even out so uh uh, yeah that would be it i think we're in pretty pretty decent agreement there and i think you could still have the play in if you wanted to and you could still have the playoffs be exactly the same way awesome thanks guys thanks uh last question goes to uh uh, yeah john you were in earlier and got got bumped so john you get the last question yes i hope you guys can hear me now we can great so i know you guys are not fond of the euro foul uh you know how it stops play and you know there's a big problem in a lot of sports where breaking the rules is actually incentivized because it makes you more likely to win the game and basketball has that problem a little bit at the end of games where taking a foul or fouling someone stops the clock and actually gives you a better chance to win i'm not sure that's a huge issue but i was talking to one of my friends who really dislikes basketball because of it and he raised a potential way that you might do things differently i'm not suggesting that basketball is bad or we should change anything about it but i'd love to hear you guys think about what would happen if towards the end of the game or on defensive fouls you actually got something more akin to a power play where the offending player had to stay on the baseline for the remainder of that possession so if you committed a foul either on the floor or a shooting foul and then you had to stand on the baseline until the possession ended and you could rejoin if your team either took control or got a basket how would that change basketball for you guys so you're talking about over the course of the whole game or just at the end of the game uh i I would say i think he mostly meant the end of the game because then you could continue to burn the clock well, so there would be no point, obviously, in following that. I think it's necessary because otherwise you just can't come back at the end of a game. As soon, essentially, as soon as the... And it's funny, actually, if you go back and watch a game from like the 60s, they almost like hadn't discovered intentionally fouling to get the ball back yet like that like hadn't occurred to a lot but but also it was harder back then because you're you didn't have a three-point shot to come back with either you know if you're down three or something but uh i mean i think the problem is you just you need to be able to stop the clock and get the ball back and put it on the other team to make free throws but you're basically then once you got to the point where the shot clock is off then there would just be no way to come back you you, you would have to you know you'd be trying to fight for a turnover or something but that that, that would be pretty difficult difficult to do so i i think i wouldn't necessarily be in favor of that uh the one actually where that i find the most annoying now is the three shot foul where where, i'm sorry the the foul to prevent the other team from getting a three off Mm -hmm. in the last uh in the last 10 10 seconds or so like i think teams should be allowed to get a three up like that's uh, the purpose of the foul rule is not that because you're not really like you when you are not getting an advantage right if you in the situation where you're trying to come back and they're fouling you're still getting an advantage you still get to score two points and extend your lead which which is a bonus you don't want the foul you don't want the shooting foul when you're down three so i'm not sure what the solution to that is but that's one where it kind of it the fouling really takes away from the action whereas i think it adds to the action because you get more comebacks and teams aren't out of it as quickly as they would be it makes the end of the game more exciting i mean there's think of all the games where teams have fouled intentionally you know for example like game six of the 2013 nba finals never happens if you can't foul intentionally right then that's one of the greatest games of all time that's just the first example i have off the top of my head yeah i think it would be a huge bummer um i thought the interesting mathematical part of it though is just trying to figure out what the average offense would score in kind of a five on four um yeah whether that would be close to kind of what people shoot from the free throw line or how many defenders you would have to lose before the average offensive possession started netting you know a 130 140 150 offensive rating 
well thanks again for all these great questions guys we danny i actually have to go and watch the games that we're going to record on in a couple of hours here but uh we really appreciate it sorry for the technical difficulties and uh hollinger and i are going to be on tomorrow at 7 30 eastern 4 30 pacific so you can jump in that'll be on on my account and uh if you didn't get a chance to listen to this whole thing it'll be out as a podcast later today as well so thanks for joining us reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 